and welcome. This is Baller Scuba with my first Scuba Cast. This is going to be the podcast for my channel. I normally do video game Let's Plays on my channel, but I found that while I was doing the Let's Plays, I was so caught up in specifics and in the moment that there were larger topics that I wanted to talk about that I didn't necessarily have time to in my normal content. So I have been looking forward to doing a podcast for a long time and I finally did get the opportunity to do that. And that's going to be the Scuba Cast, actually named by fans on Patreon. I love the name. I'm going to stick with it. Uh, so let's talk about the Scuba Cast before we get into it fully, what my plans are for the Scuba Cast. Uh, the first thing that you might notice is that this is going to be entirely an audio podcast. It's going to be that way to start. I don't know how long I plan to keep it that way. We might add video later on if it becomes successful or if people do want to see it. But for now, I don't necessarily have the setup for that. So it's going to be audio only for at least a few of these podcasts. Uh, that is just how it's going to be to start, at least. We might be able to set up something, but for now it is going to be all audio. I also want to talk about how often this is going to come out. Uh, I will make sure that it comes out at least once a month. Uh, that is definitely doable for me. I do want to eventually make it twice a month. That's probably the most that I'm willing to go with it. Uh, I feel that once a week might be too much considering uh, what I plan to do with the topics and things like that. So audio only at least once a month for now. That's definitely the plan. Uh, let's talk about the format of the podcast. And of course, today is going to be an exception because it is the first one. Uh, but most of the podcasts are going to start with random news that I have found since the last podcast. Uh, I will find something in uh, media or online or something, some bit of information that interests me and I do want to talk about them. We'll kind of go over them relatively briefly. They won't be the main crux of the podcast, but any small little details uh, that do interest me, I will talk about. And that's going to be the first part of the scuba cast. The second part is going to be the main topic. That's going to be the crux of what the podcast is about. Uh, today it's going to be the current state of television and movies. And we'll talk about that much later on and we'll talk about it much more in detail. But that's going to be the main crux of the podcast. And the third part, which we're not going to do in this podcast, but will be a staple later on, is kind of a wild card. We will do uh, some Q&A, we'll do some games, we'll do some challenges, stuff like that. Uh, that will be the third part of the podcast to try to keep things fresh. So articles, main topic, bit of a wild card. Uh, if there is anything that interests you, uh, feel free to leave a comment and I will bring it up in the next podcast or I'll answer it straight away. Uh, I do want to make this more of a community instead of a, a lecture from me. I want to 
hear your opinions on pretty much everything that we're talking about uh, from beginning to end, either the news articles, the main topic, or the wild card at the end. So that is what I plan on doing with the scuba cast. Like I said, it's going to be a, a kind of an aberration this time because it is the first one. Uh, but from now on, that is going to be the format. And once again, we will do it at least once a month and it will be audio only for at least some time. With that said, let's head into the scuba cast. Let's get it officially started. We have two topics that I wanted to talk about. Some small articles, some pieces of information that interested me that I wanted to talk about. The first one is that Steam released a list of the highest grossing games of 2017 on Steam. Now, Steam is not well known for giving out a lot of information about its sales or its actual hard numbers, and this is no exception. They did not really release hard numbers for their list. They basically put a list of the highest grossing games and separated them into tiers in the Steam interface. And every time you looked at the page, it would give you the tiers in, well, every game in each tier in a random order. So I can't tell you what the highest grossing game was, but I can tell you what the 12 highest grossing games were. And this interested me because it was different than what I expected, but also the same as what I expected. Uh, it's an interesting list, so I wanted to talk about it. So here is the list of Steam's highest grossing games of 2017, at least the 12 highest in a random order that they called the Platinum Tier, uh, but these are the highest grossing games of 2017 on Steam, just on Steam. We're not talking console sales, we're not talking um, physical brick and mortar store sales, we're talking just on Steam. That list goes Player Unknown's Battlegrounds, Rocket League, The Witcher 3, Rainbow Six Siege, Grand Theft Auto 5, Ghost Recon Wildlands, Dota 2, Warframe, Divinity Original Sin 2, H1Z1, Ark Survival Evolved, and Counter-Strike Go. Counter-Strike Global Offensive. I should say. Uh, this is an interesting list to me, to say the least. Uh, the first thing that I noticed was that these are not new games on the whole. I, I should say they were not released in 2017. By my count, only three were originally released in 2017. Those being Player Unknown's Battlegrounds, Ghost Recon Wildlands, Divinity Original Sin 2. Those were the three. You could count Ark Survival Evolved because it had its full release in August, but it was early access and that was released out in 2015. And I feel like most of the money kind of went in there. Uh, but of the top 12 games of the year for Steam, only three or four were released that year. And I found that interesting that a lot of these games had a much higher retention rate on their sales in a way that you do not see in consoles at all. If I told you that the highest 
that the highest grossing game of 2017 was Super Mario Maker, you would tell me I was lying. But there are some games on this list that are about that old, uh, if not older. Most of them are older. I think that uh, Super Mario Maker is only two years old, but there was there would be no way that it would be on the list, I would say, of the top 12 console games of 2017. So for the top Steam games to have games that are older for a, a, a list of this kind stood out to me. The other thing that stood out to me as a video game player is that only two of these games, in my opinion at least, would be considered single player games. Most of these are online communities or multiplayer games. Uh, the two primarily single player games would be The Witcher 3 and Divinity Original Sin 2. Uh, you could make the argument for Grand Theft Auto 5, but I don't feel like that's where the money is being made. I feel like it's being made more in multiplayer. Uh, although there is a significant single player portion to Grand Theft Auto 5, I feel like that's not where the money is coming in. I don't feel like people are buying it for that experience as much as it is for the online experience. Uh, the Witcher 3 and Divinity Original Sin 2, that's pretty much all there is, is the single player experience. I have not actually played any of these games, uh, with the exception of like one game of Dota 2, and I played the original Counter-Strike. So you have to take everything that I say about these games with a grain of salt, uh, but there's definitely a larger market for the highest grossing games in multiplayer, that is where the money is being made, and that is why I feel that those games are coming out in greater numbers than the single-player games. This list kind of just proves that. It shows you all that you need to know about it. So the two things that stood out to me at first were that two of the games were single-player, the rest were multiplayer, or at least most, mostly multi multiplayer. Uh, three were released this year, and then when I started doing a little bit more research in it, two of them are th free to play. Two of them are not making any money on the initial sale. Uh, those would be Dota 2 and Warframe. So all of the money that is coming in are from in-game purchases. Things that you buy inside the game in order to either make your character look better or to give you some kind of skin or some kind of gameplay improvement. So that is definitely a model that people are going to pay attention to. If they continue to make more money than games released in 2017 without actually selling a new game ever, because they don't, you can give away a new game, but if it's free to play, you're not actually selling a new game. Then the industry is going to pay attention to that, and they're going to try to follow that model. So by my count, two of them are free to play. I'm not entirely sure about some of the other ones, but Dota 2 and Warframe are free to play. So... Tell me what you think about the list. Are you surprised? Are you not surprised by some of the entries on the list? 
Are you disappointed or are you encouraged by something that you did not expect? Uh, I will say that I was encouraged by the fact that there are so many indie games on the list, uh, but at the same time, I feel like they hit lightning in a bottle a lot of the time. Uh, like PUBG, for instance, Player Unknown's Battlegrounds, I, I feel like that hit something that people really wanted. Uh, but I feel like that's not necessarily going to be a game that people go back to. Uh, like I said, I have not actually played any of these games, but that's the impression that I'm getting from people online. So that's the first topic that I wanted to talk about, Steam's highest grossing games of 2017. I found it interesting. Uh, the second topic is going to be a little bit uh, shorter to talk about, uh, but I did find it, once again, something that piqued my interest. Uh, basically, the World Health Organization is going to name gaming disorder as a mental health condition in their 11th International Classification of Diseases. Uh, that's known as the ICD. Uh, the 10th edition came out in 1992, so it's been a long time since WHO actually released uh, a new classification of diseases. Uh, but gaming disorder has been added to the list. And this does mean a few things. It means that they are going to treat it officially and try to combat it. Uh, they did say that they acknowledge the fact that uh, parents will try to emphasize the fact that this is a disease and, and diagnose their children with it when they don't actually have it. Uh, so let's kind of talk about what gaming disorder actually is. Basically, what it means is that the gaming is becoming a, a sort of addiction that is impacting your life. So instead of doing things like eating or drinking, you know, water, or going to the bathroom, or working, or doing your schoolwork, you are going out of your way to play video games. And it, I know that sounds like something that people kind of want to do, uh, but when we're talking about a disorder, an, an actual technical disorder, we're talking about it impacting your life negatively, uh, whether you know it or not, sometimes you do know that it's impacting your life negatively. You just cannot stop, and it does become an addiction of sorts. Uh, that is what they are talking about when they say uh, gaming disorder is a mental health condition. Uh, it will lead, I am sure, to many parents saying that their children have a gaming disorder when they just really enjoy video games, but this does mean that people that, for instance, play World of Warcraft for 70 hours straight uh, can now be classified as having a disorder and can be treated at an institution for that. And there are ways to combat that uh, that don't necessarily involve just plain cutting you off from video games altogether, although that might be an option as well. I should point out that uh, psychiatrists have a different um, manual. It's called the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders, uh, DSM, and they have listed internet gaming disorder since 2013 
but it's not a, an official condition for them. It says that it needs further study. So it's something that they acknowledge is a problem, but it's not something that they are actively trying to uh, resolve and seek out just yet. Uh, but it it does look like this was something that was in the works for a while. Uh, I'm sure many of you have heard stories like I have, rumors going around of people that have played video games until they died, simply because they were no longer taking care of themselves in the most basic ways. They were not eating, were not drinking, were not going to the bathroom, that kind of thing, and they died playing video games. Uh, so this does not come as a surprise to me that this was listed as a condition that needed to be treated. Uh, I am worried about what that means for people that like video games that is now considered something that can cause an addiction. Uh, but I think most people will understand the difference between liking something and being unable to separate yourself from it. So what do you guys think about that? Gaming disorder as a mental health condition, is that necessarily a good thing? Is it a bad thing? Let me know. So those are the two topics uh, that I wanted to talk about today. Uh, those were some things that uh, got my attention at least. Uh, that it was actually pretty slow for news for me. It took me a while to find those things. Uh, with that said, though, it's time to get into our main topic. Uh, the main topic, I'm going to call it uh, the current state of movies and television, or the current state of television and movies. I haven't decided the exact order of it, uh, but that is what I want to talk about in full today, as much as I can. Uh, with that said, though, even though I say uh, television and movies or movies and television, the first thing that I want to talk about is streaming services. Uh, those are the elephant in the room when it comes to TV and movies. It is the main competition and by far the biggest streaming service out there is Netflix. So that's where we're going to start our conversation. Netflix has been taking over. <laughs> There's no way around it. It has become more and more popular, and it is growing all the time. Uh, according to a site called Statista, uh, they have not really, well, they haven't released anything for the end of 2017. Uh, fourth quarter numbers are not out yet. But third quarter numbers, meaning that at the end of September 2017, Netflix had 109 million subscribers. And remember, this is subscribers, not necessarily viewers. I believe you can have up to four or five. I believe it's five uh, people looking on your Netflix account per subscriber. So this does not represent viewers. It represents actual people that are paying Netflix. Uh, at least that is what they are telling me. Uh, this is a huge increase uh, from the third quarter of 2016. So one year earlier, it was 86 million. So in one year, their viewership went up 27%. That is huge especially since most people that I talked to last year seem to have Netflix. That means even more people that I know have met Netflix now. Uh, in 
2015 at the end of the third quarter, it was less than 70 million. That is the number that we're talking about. Less than 70, which means that in two years, Netflix grew by 50%. That is numbers that you don't see anywhere else in the industry in terms of actual entertainment in movies or films. Netflix is the biggest gainer right now in terms of viewership. That is where everybody seems to be flocking. And it's not only having impact on television and movies, it's having impact online, it's having impact on podcasts, it's having uh, impact on YouTube. But for today's purposes, we are going to be talking about its impact on television and movies because they're the first competitor, the easiest competitor to compare Netflix versus TV and movies. Uh, so let's talk about what Netflix is up to right now. After all, it's the current state of television and movies. Right now, Netflix is investing billions of dollars into original programming. Last year, uh, in 2017, they promised $6 billion they say they spent $6 billion in 2017 on original programming. In 2018, they're saying they're going to increase that to $8 billion. Uh, that is a huge number. That is almost more money than what movies made all 2017. We'll get to that later. But that is how much they're investing. That's not how much they're pulling in. That's how much they're actually putting. That's not, I should say, that's how much they're, that's not how much they're getting out of the service. That's how much they're putting into the service. They are investing that and hoping to get probably double that out. And that's something that I'm not sure they're going to be able to do, if we're being honest. But if their numbers keep growing the way that they are now, and they don't burn out their subscribers, uh, that is something that they can accomplish. But right now, I feel like the biggest problem that Netflix has is that they possibly could be burning out their subscribers. So let's talk about that just a little bit. Uh, I'm going to ignore the children's series because I know almost nothing about them, and children have weird tastes sometimes. But... In 2013, that's when Netflix really started pushing original series. 2013, they had three original series. House of Cards, Orange is the New Black, and Hemlock Grove. That was it. That was all they really had for the, the main series for adults. Two of those instantly became hits and critically acclaimed. House of Cards and Orange is the New Black. Hemlock Grove, I knew people that liked it, uh, but it didn't seem like too many people uh, were into it. It didn't seem too popular, and it wasn't doing well at uh, award shows and things like that. House of Cards and Orange is the New Black, most people that I talked to that watched it really seemed to like it. Critics loved it, and all of a sudden I started hearing about Netflix at award shows for television at the Emmys and things like that. And that was weird. Uh, but in 2013, they had three series. That was it. In 2017, they debuted 21 new series. 
And as far as I can tell, with the quantity going up, the quality is going down. Even though there's more of it, it's not as good as it used to be. At least that's the general sense that I'm getting. Once again, I have not seen all of them. I can't claim to have watched all of television. Uh, but you can tell that they're not being as popular because Netflix is canceling several of their series. Um, some of them debuted earlier than 2017, right? Because it was a ramp up over time, but they went from three series to 21 in four years. So they had to start cutting things as they went along. Uh, they have a different model than television because they don't have to have it occupy a slot in their schedule. They just have to clear up enough hard drive space and streaming space for people to download it and watch it. So there isn't as much risk for Netflix to start a new show, but they're still canceling shows due to lack of popularity. They're not investing more into the series that they started. They were known for having great taste when they started. It felt like everything that Netflix does, or at least what they did, was golden. They were known for having good taste for what they put money into. I would not say that they're known for that anymore. They spend more money than anybody else, but a lot of their series are panned. They're not good according to the critics and according to audiences that don't seem to be watching. So with them coming up with more series all the time, but not all of them becoming hit and them continually spending more money, I'm just not entirely sure that this is going to be feasible for them in the long run. But they keep on growing. It is a service that people now associate with all streaming services. If I told you that I had Amazon Prime, your first thought is not, I'm watching videos on that. You would say that I Netflix on Amazon Prime, more likely. At least I've heard a couple people say it like that. It bugs my mind, but they do say it that way. It's become the brand name that is associated with the entire industry. You Netflix. You don't watch Netflix. You Netflix. It's become a verb. That's how big it is. With that said, there are still some bright points. Uh, Netflix has really invested into stand-up specials, which is something that I have not seen for a while. I used to watch those all the time when I was a teenager. I loved stand-up specials that were on uh, Comedy Central, which was really the only place that I could find it. Uh, but then as I got older, I found out that uh, the um, specialty programming, HBO, Showtime, that kind of thing, they had stand-up specials that I just didn't have access to. Uh, but for me, Comedy Central was the only place I could go. Netflix seems to have taken that spot. Uh, they got, well, in January 2018 alone, they're releasing 10 stand-up specials. That's more than they did in all of 2014. That's how much they're investing into stand-up comedy. I appreciate that, but stand-up comedy is a very subjective thing. And 
unless you know the comedian, a lot of times you can be turned off to stand-up specials as a whole if you watch two or three bad ones in a row, or at least two or three ones that don't appeal to your taste. So it is a risk, and Netflix is willing to make the risk, and I have to applaud them for that. So far, we've pretty much just talked about series, right? This is how they're competing with television. And I have to bring up how they're competing with television because they're dominating television. They're increasing while television numbers are going down. I can talk about movies that are on Netflix, but I can't say much about it because... I don't know much, and I don't know people that know too much about the movies on Netflix. Most of the movies that people watch on Netflix are not Netflix originals. They are movies that they released in theaters, then released on DVDs, and are now on Netflix. In terms of original Netflix movies, there aren't too many great ones. Uh, There are some that were nominated. There are some that people love. Uh, But on the whole, I would say that the movies on Netflix are at a lower level than the TV series. And that's going to be important for when we talk about TV and movies and how they're doing. And I'm going to have to bring up Netflix again, which is why I wanted to start there. So Netflix is still growing. They're continuing to invest. But I'm not entirely sure that it's going to last forever this way. I feel like they are going to get some competitors. For instance, Disney pulled out, well, at least they've announced they're going to pull out of Netflix. You're no longer going to be able to see Disney movies on Netflix. Uh, They are investing in their own streaming service. That seems to be the plan. Uh, Originally, they're going to do... ESPN, that's supposed to come out sometime this year, uh, an ESPN ESPN streaming service. Uh, They still haven't released too many details about it, like price, uh, but the idea is that you'll be able to stream sports games on the go through ESPN. Uh, They've had that kind of service before. I believe it was called ESPN Go app, Uh, but it looks like what they're planning on doing is more of the actual games themselves and less of the commentary on ESPN because I believe the ESPN Go app can really only show you what's currently on the channels. Uh, But possibly in the future, uh, they are looking into showing you yesterday's baseball game or football game, whatever you wanted to watch. Uh, So Disney, who owns ESPN, Disney owns everything, but... Disney is planning on streaming ESPN separate, but they are also planning on streaming their own stuff separately from Netflix. So as people start getting the technology that Netflix has, uh, we might start seeing a lot of different competitors to Netflix. Uh, CBS, for instance, already has a streaming service. Uh, You can watch Star Trek there. That's pretty much the only reason I know to watch that right now. Maybe there's others, but that's the only one that stuck out to me. Uh, But with Disney already pulling out, I'm nervous about what that means for Netflix in the future. But right now it is golden. It is the place to be if you want to be innovative And if you want to make money in the entertainment industry, Netflix is the place to go. 
Uh, Disney says that they'll possibly have their service out in 2019, uh, but who's to say about that? A lot of times those big projects get delayed. I do know that they grabbed uh, Major League Baseball Advanced Media to do that. Uh, that does not necessarily sound like a familiar name to anybody, but they were the people that were in charge of uh, the Major League Baseball uh, family of websites. So every team in the league, uh, they were running their website. And uh, as a baseball fan that had to go on those sites a lot, uh, I can tell you that they were pretty good. They, On the technical side, they knew what they were doing. The streaming happened quickly. It was in good. Um, it was in good quality, uh, but the clips that were chosen were always weird. So, if they had the content ready and just had to do the technical side, uh, they are fully capable of doing that, uh, based on my experience with them. So that's what I want to talk about with Netflix. Uh, there are a couple other streaming services out there. Uh, the next competitor that I mentioned before is Amazon Prime. Um, but Amazon Prime really only has a couple series that stood out to me that I've heard of, that I've heard good things about. Uh, Netflix has way more series that people tell me I have to watch. Amazon Prime, there were maybe two or three. Um, it's hard to say that Amazon Prime is a legitimate competitor to Netflix as a result of that. Uh, plus, Amazon Prime comes with free shipping, which is why most people sign up for it. Uh, for a while, I had Amazon Prime and I did not watch anything on Amazon Prime Video. So they kept on sending me emails telling me, hey, did you know you can watch videos on our service? Yes, yes, I knew. Uh, but I haven't. A lot of the times it's because if I want to watch a, a decent movie or a movie that I have been wanting to watch for a long time, it's going to cost me additional money. And, and so I kind of stay away from that. Uh, their subscriber numbers are high, Amazon Prime. Uh, they had, at the end of the third quarter in 2017, they had 90 million subscribers compared with uh, Netflix's 109. So it's, it's competitive. It's around the same spot. But keep in mind that that's not viewers. Most of those people are just getting free shipping from Amazon. That's the main reason to do it. Uh, it's not the actual Prime Video viewers. That's just how many subscribers they have for this service that happens to include video. Uh, Hulu is actually the third, uh, which is kind of surprising to me because I have not heard a single th good thing about Hulu like ever. Uh, I am told that they have original shows. Uh, there were a couple that, as I looked through the list, I had heard about, uh, but honestly, they were not necessarily anything that would sell me a Hulu service. Uh, they have 47 million viewers, so about half of Amazon Prime uh, Hulu didn't actually have like an official number. That's what they claim on their website, 47 million. Uh, but that's, you know, about half of Amazon Prime and arguably a third of what Netflix is now. So that's a distant third uh, in terms of subscriber numbers. Uh, but they are primarily an entertainment uh, company as opposed to Amazon Prime. They do have a couple good series, uh, but unless they change the format, because I believe even if you pay, you still have to watch advertisements. Uh, it does not seem like something that is going to change for a long time. Hulu seems to be a distant third, uh, and that's the best spot that they can be. 
for the time being. So, that's streaming services. Let's talk about television networks. That's up next. Now, I'm going to have to stick with American television networks uh, because that's where I live and that seems to be where a lot of the numbers are. Uh, it's hard to find information on British channels, for instance. I'm sure they're doing great, uh, but in America, uh, that is where the huge numbers come in a lot of the time, except for you know big events like the World Cup. Uh, but for television networks, I had a few things that surprised me about it. Uh, the first thing is not that surprising, uh, but it can be if you're not uh, well aware of what's happening with Netflix. And that's that the numbers are down pretty much across the board. Television networks are losing viewers every year. Double digit percentages of users every year. It's, it's about 10% every year for a lot of these channels, especially what we call the network channels. These are the free channels that are available to everybody you don't have to pay anything in order to view these channels uh, i believe there are four to five of them uh four definitely the fifth one apparently is uh, a network or a cable channel depending on where you live in the united states it was weird i was not aware of that uh, but the big four channels are cbs nbc abc and fox all of them are losing subscribers. Well, I shouldn't say subscribers. All of them are losing viewers. Uh, that is the order, though, that their overall viewership is in. CBS is number one, NBC is number two, ABC is number three, and Fox is number four. And Fox is a distant number four. Uh, CBS has eight million viewers on average. Is That's the way they phrase it, on average. I have no idea what the, that means, but uh, this is according to Nielsen, and I kind of trust Nielsen. They've been doing it longer than I've been alive. So apparently they know what they're talking about. Problem is I don't all the time. But they have 8 million viewers. Uh, NBC has 7.3 million. ABC has 5.6. And Fox has 4.7. So almost half of as many viewers as CBS. Which is kind of weird to me because I don't particularly like most of those shows on CBS. But my opinion apparently doesn't matter all that much. We'll get into specific shows later, but it was interesting to me to see that CBS is losing 10% of their viewers, and they're number one. And it doesn't look like number two is going to catch up anytime soon. That would be NBC, and they lost 14% of their viewers as from 2016 to 2017. The numbers are way down, and I think that has everything to do with Netflix. You're seeing a rise of what is known as cord cutters in America. People are just saying, why should I get cable? Uh, it has something to do with the cable industry as a whole. I've had my problems with them. I'm sure if you live in America, you've had your problems with the cable industry as well. Uh, we have had channels that have been uh, taken off the air simply because of a contract dispute between the cable company and the channel. Uh, there have been price increases. There have been a reduction in packages. So now there's, a, I think last time I checked, uh, I have AT&T, not that it really matters, but uh, they gave me four packages that I could buy. The first package was nothing except for the four channels that I showed you 
and a fifth one uh, known as the CW. That's mostly where the superhero shows are. Uh, I would want it, but that was free. That was the basic tier. The second tier, one step up from the free tier, was over 100 channels, and I could not pick and choose which ones I wanted to watch. This was the list of 100 channels that we would have available to us. And when you have a model of sales like that, you either have five channels or 105 channels, people are going to say that your industry is not necessarily where they want to do business if there's a better alternative. And Netflix seems to be the better alternative for TV shows, even though that's now an anachronistic term. Shows? Should I just call them shows? It's hard to say because I... I honestly don't know. But in terms of networks, individual networks, not every network is losing at the same pace. Uh, For instance, the most popular cable show, and I'm not going to get into politics, but the most popular cable network in America is Fox News. It has 2.4 million Uh, Roughly half of what their parent channel, I guess, Fox has, and a little bit more than a quarter of what CBS has. But at the end of the day, that is the highest cable channel. And they have retained the same amount of viewers on their channel, despite the rest of the industry going down. Uh, ESPN, also the uh, second highest cable channel. It's a sports network. They do nothing but sports 24 hours a day. Uh, They're up 3% from where they were last year. The third highest ranking cable channel is Univision, which is a uh, Spanish channel. I know almost nothing about it because I don't speak Spanish, uh, but I hear about it every once in a while but usually in disputes and things like that, uh, they are actually down more than other people. They're down 14%. Uh, The big winner is actually another uh, news channel by the name of MSNBC. They're a much more liberal channel. Uh, They're up 50%. Uh, They seem to have benefited from uh, the conservatives taking power in the government. People seem to have started watching liberal news as a result of that. And that's pretty much all I'm going to say about that. Uh, Rounding out the top 10, though, is the CW, which, if you remember right, can be a basic network channel in certain areas. So it was surprising to me to see uh, what is here, Channel 5, so far down the list, uh, that uh, Univision... uh, even USA Network, which I hear is getting a lot better. Uh, but Univision, USA, ESPN, Fox News, and, and MSNBC all doing better than something that can be free depending on where you live. Uh, but the interesting thing to me, not only to the, the channels as a whole, is the 18 to 49 demographic. Uh, that is where a lot of advertisers focus to see where they want to spend their money. So a lot of times, even if CBS is number one, 
in terms of overall viewership, the fact that they're not number one in the 18 to 49 demographic means they're not necessarily going to make as much money. So let's talk about the 18 to 49 demographic. Once again, it's the big four at the top. Uh, it starts with NBC this time, then Fox, then CBS, then ABC. Uh, so it's a different order depending on how you want to look at it. Is overall viewership better or is the, the key demographic better? Uh, but the numbers are further down for the 18 to 49 demographic. Uh, NBC is in the lead. They lost 19% of that demographic in a year. 19%. That is a significant number. And according to the industry, it doesn't look like that's going to change. It might actually get worse. So TV channels are losing. They're hemorrhaging viewers, as it's commonly said, uh, for a long time. It apparently has been going on for, for a few years, uh, but this might be the peak of it. The TV industry is kind of preparing in case this continues. Uh, in terms of the cable channels for the 18 to 49 demographic, ESPN's number one. Uh, they actually did gain in the demographic. They got 1% increase. Uh, next is Univision, then Telemundo, which is another uh, Spanish channel that I know next, nothing about. Uh, the CW is number eight. Once again, that's kind of a uh, cable channel. Then we have USA and TBS, and the news channels are way down on the list. I believe the first one was number 32 in the 18 to 49 demographic. It just does not seem to resonate with that demographic, the news all the time. Uh, but that means that certain channels have a certain percentage of 18 to 49 demographic. Uh, no surprises, CBS uh, mostly known for shows like The Big Bang Theory, Young Sheldon, Two Broke Girls, NCIS. I believe that's on CBS. Uh, and then a lot of the procedural shows. Uh, that has a low percentage of the 18 to 49 demographic, just over a quarter, just over a fifth, I should say, less than a quarter. Um, Fox has the highest percentage in 18 to 49 demographic, 40%. That's kind of insane to me. 40% of their demographic, 40% of their viewers are 18 to 49. Uh, ESPN and Univision also have quite a high percentage. Uh, and then not surprisingly, Fox News and MSNBC, the news channels, have next to nothing. So in terms of future viewers, people with supposed uh, disposable income, uh, we are kind of looking at sports, Spanish, and Fox. That's kind of where their viewership comes from. Uh, but unfortunately, I can't tell you the entire 18 to 49 demographic most popular shows. I can't tell you that. Uh, but I can tell you the top 10 shows of 2017 overall. Once again, very surprising to me because I don't like most of these shows. But uh, number one is Sunday Night Football. That's, of course, American football. It is huge here. It is number one without a doubt 
everybody wants to watch Sunday Night Football. Uh, for those of you that are unfamiliar with how that works, um, Sunday Night Football is the only game going on at that time. All the rest of the games happen earlier in the day, and then you can sit down and watch Sunday Night Football because there's no other football on uh, when normally there's three to four games going on at a time. So that's why it is the most popular uh, in America, too. The Super Bowl always is the biggest event every year. It is huge. Football is still big, uh, despite the fact that I have heard for several years now that millennials are pulling out of sports altogether. I'm just not seeing the numbers pan out that way. In terms of actual series, though, uh, the most popular one is The Big Bang Theory. Uh, that's followed by The Good Doctor, then Young Sheldon, then NCIS, This Is Us. America's Got Talent, they say the Tuesday show, which is where they actually do the act. It's basically a um, uh, a showcase act where you go on stage and you perform. Uh, that's what America's Got Talent is. It's a reality show competition of that sort. And the showcase show is number seven most popular show in America. Number eight, The Walking Dead. Number nine, The America's Got Talent's results show, where they tell you who got kicked off that week and who made it to the next round. And number 10 is Bull. Once again, these are the most popular shows of 2017, according to Nielsen. Uh, These are not the most highly acclaimed shows. A lot of them I have heard quite negative things about. Uh, But they are on the list because they get the most viewers. It is definitely a difference between uh, what is good and what is popular, and that is distinct uh, when it comes to entertainment. Uh, What is necessarily highly acclaimed is not always popular, and what is popular is not always that good. But those are the most popular. According to IMDb, though, and this is where you'll start seeing shows that uh, are much higher acclaimed. Uh, I don't know how they run their metric, but according to IMDb, the Internet Music Database, the most popular shows are Black Mirror, Game of Thrones, Vikings, Shameless, Stranger Things, Peaky Blinders, The Crown, Dark, The Walking Dead, and The Punisher. Uh, Of course, there are a lot of streaming services on these shows. Um, Black Mirror, Game of Thrones... Stranger Things, Peaky Blinders, The Crown, and The Punisher, I know, are on streaming services. And that's a good portion of the list. Uh, These are all highly acclaimed. Uh, They have high ratings on IMDb. Uh, They they are popular. This is is kind of the list that I was expecting for the most popular, but that's not the case. There is a stark difference between what is popular on television and what is popular online. Those are more and more becoming two separate worlds. And although people keep on trying to bring them back together, I'm just not entirely sure it's happening, at least not yet. So that's kind of the state of television. Viewership is way down. And the viewers that are in the key demographic, 18 to 49, are pulling out further than the general population. They are unplugging from television. They're going to Netflix, mainly. That seems to be where the numbers are going. So I I cannot talk about television without talking about Netflix because that is where people are going. So that's television. 
Now let's talk about movies. This is really shocking to me uh, because my impression going into this was that movies were not going to be uh, doing well. They were going to be losing money just like television is, but that is not the case. Um, overall, movie spending is relatively up. It actually is higher now um, than it has been in the past. That is a surprise to me. Uh, of course, these numbers are not adjusted for inflation. Uh, and even though 2017 was a bit of a down year, it went down about 2.5%, uh, uh, the overall numbers are still up. Um, and, and that is surprising to me because most people that I know don't go to movies as often as they used to. Uh, what is also really surprising is that even though the numbers are just a bit up, just Barely, like we're talking about like 3% a year up and down, uh, give or take. The top movies are always making more and more money. There are four movies in 2017 that made a billion dollars. And I remember when a billion dollars was an unheard of number for a movie to make. Uh, when I was growing up, I believe it was just Star Wars and Titanic. I think those were the only two no only two movies that had made a billion dollars. Then I remember Avatar kind of broke every record, uh, but now there are four movies this year that got a billion all by themselves. And if I were to ask you which ones they were, I'm not sure you could tell me which ones they were, which all four of them. You might be able to name one or two, but I just don't think that these four would be the ones that you thought made a billion dollars. Those are Beauty and the Beast, The Fate of the Furious, The, the Fate of the Furious, Fast and the Furious 8, Star Wars The Last Jedi, and Despicable Me 3. Now, two of those are really surprising to me. And those are Beauty and the Beast and Despicable Me 3. Beauty and the Beast was actually the top grossing film of 2017. I should clarify this is as of uh, January 9th when I checked it. Uh, I feel like Star Wars The Last Jedi is going to rapidly gain money the longer that it is out. Uh, but as of January 9th, Beauty and the Beast was the most profitable at least gross profit, uh, movie of 2017. I did not expect that. I actually heard mediocre reviews for that one. I want to see it, but I haven't seen it myself. Uh, the Fate of the Furious, I'm a little surprised, but I'm not too surprised. It, it is a big event film, and it doesn't necessarily care what the quality of the story or the physics or anything like that is. You, you go there to have a good, dumb time at the Fate of the Furious. Star Wars, of course, does not surprise me at all. Uh, people really do like going out to see a new Star Wars. And, of course, this was a big one with lots of twists and turns possibly in it. And I, I still need to see it. But... This one was something that people had been building up for for a long time, so it's not surprising to see that on the list. Despicable Me 3? I have no idea why that's here. It was hugely popular. I know that people love Minions, but that, that one really surprised me. Uh, rounding out the top 10, though, are Spider-Man Homecoming, Wolf Warrior 2, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2, Thor Ragnarok, 
Wonder Woman, and Pirates of the Caribbean, Dead Men Tell No Tales. Uh, there might have been one that stood out in that list to you, and that was probably Wolf Warrior 2, because I had never heard of it. I don't know anybody that has heard of it. It is a Chinese-only movie, and that's where I have to talk about China. So China is definitely stepping up how much money they are spending on movies uh, as an audience. They're also producing movies at a, a much higher rate than I remember ever hearing about before. The uh, Chinese market, though, is representative of a quarter of most of the movies in the top 10. So although the overall numbers are up, once again, no adjustment for inflation, uh, the overall numbers are up. In America, the numbers might be a little bit down. I couldn't find in exact numbers on the domestic box office for a lot of these movies. But when I saw what China was spending on these movies, I have to assume that the overall spending is down in America. Uh, Wolf Warrior 2 was pretty much just released in China. Uh, I believe it was also released in India and Australia, but over 860 million of the 870 million that it made came from China. They pretty much single-handedly, single country, single country edly put Wolf Warrior 2 in the top 10 for the year. I'd never heard of Wolf Warrior 1. I've never heard of Wolf Warrior 2, but apparently it is huge in China. Uh, they are now representative of a large portion of the movie market, and people are starting to pay attention to that and trying to appeal to that. And one of the ways that they are doing that is by having a big event movie. I would say that every single movie on this list outside of Beauty and the Beast, which once again, I'm not entirely sure how it made it on this list, uh, is a huge event, something that you get the family together to go and see. It's not something that you just kind of go and watch by yourself on the weekend. I'm sure a lot of people did that, but the first impulse is to try to get a group together to see these movies, uh, either with your family or your friends or something like that. Um, but... It is shocking to me to see that the movie numbers just keep on going higher and higher overall. Uh, the total number is over $11 billion in spending in, in the global box office. Uh, that's where I want to talk about Netflix again. Uh, $11 billion was spent on movies across the world for all movies at the theater. And Netflix is investing eight billion dollars in original programming next year in 2018 that's where i'm a little worried about netflix but their numbers have to be higher than what movie box office are so that's where everything is going but at the same time since netflix does not have the caliber of movies that you can see in the theater, uh, the way that they have the caliber of uh, series that you can find on television, people are still going to movies. The movies are better at the movies than they are on Netflix. 
uh, because it's become an event. It's something that you can't wait to see. That seems to be where people are investing in movies, something that you need to see when it comes out, not wait a couple months and find out what people thought about it. But this year, in 2017, I have to emphasize the point again, there were four movies that made over a billion dollars. That means those four movies are in the top 25 grossing movies of all time. Once again, that's not counting for inflation, but still four movies in the top 25 of all time in one year. That's a lot of money being spent on movies. And once again, it's not really up that much. It's just being concentrated into the big movies. The big winner by a mile when it comes to movies is Disney. Six of the movies in the top 10 are Disney properties. Beauty and the Beast, Star Wars The Last Jedi, Spider-Man Homecoming, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2, Thor Ragnarok, and Pirates of the Caribbean Dead Men Tell No Tales. Six movies are Disney properties. Uh, Granted, Sony Pictures distributed Spider-Man Homecoming, but Disney owns the rights to Spider-Man. So it is insane how much Disney not only owns, but is able to produce at a high quality, at least high quality enough to make a tremendous amount of money. The Marvel Cinematic Universe is now the most profitable franchise in movies ever. It beat out Star Wars, the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Star Wars has been around since, I believe, 1979? It could be a little bit earlier than that. Late 70s. Star Wars has been around since the late 70s. And the Marvel Cinematic Universe has been around since, I believe, 2008. It beat it. Which emphasizes, once again, the point that superhero movies are kind of taking over. Uh, Four of the movies in the top ten are superhero movies. Spider-Man, Guardians of the Galaxy, Thor, and Wonder Woman. They are huge in the industry. Superhero movies seem to cloud everything. Uh, For a while, it seemed like there was either a new superhero television show or a superhero movie once a month. And it was difficult to keep up with all the time. You had so much going on. Superheroes are huge. They're just absolutely dominating everything right now. Um, Yeah, Chinese numbers are just a quarter of it, but they do love the superheroes in China. That's one of the reasons that these movies are doing so well, is that the Chinese theaters are playing the superhero movies and they are pushing the box office numbers globally up as a result of that. Uh, The industry is well aware of these things. Uh, There are talks of a bust coming at some point that some of the smaller studios are simply not going to be able to keep up. And even some of the larger studios are investing too much in uh, movies that do not become box office hits. Uh, They are finding that unless it is a big event movie, it's not necessarily worthwhile to make the movie. Um, They're talking about a lot of 
studio closures happening in the next five years or so. Nothing has really been set in stone yet, uh, but I assume that more studios would get bought than actually get closed down. Just the way that the industry kind of works. Uh, These are rumors. These are uh, people that are trying to be prophetic, but there is talk of that because of how the movies are being kind of squeezed together in in terms of how the money is is only going towards a certain select amount of movies and then all these other movies are not making that much money there are two exceptions uh that i would say were were a surprise uh to the movie industry uh those two are get out and wonder woman uh get out i can understand why it was a surprise get out was a horror movie so to speak of it's it's a hard movie to classify still haven't seen it but i've heard so many people talk about it it is a horror movie uh that was written by a comedian uh who was basically an outsider uh from the movie industry uh he went out with a four and a half million dollar budget uh but he made such a good movie and people loved it so much that he ended up making $254 million in gross profit, which means he made $250 million on that movie. Uh, It was a huge deal and it was a surprise. Uh, What was weird for me was that people thought that Wonder Woman was a surprise hit. Uh, That was interesting because it was a huge superhero movie. They put a ton of money into it. Uh, They had already established the character in Batman versus Superman, uh, which was also a big hit, even though it was not uh, well received. But it was interesting that they thought that Wonder Woman could not necessarily stand on her own. Uh, there are two schools of thought as to why uh, they did not think this. Uh, the first one is that it was a female protagonist. Uh, I'm not sure I necessarily buy that the industry didn't think that that would happen after all beauty and the beast stars a a female protagonist as well uh but dc had said for a while that the world was not ready for a wonder woman movie so there there definitely is some merit to that argument um the more reasonable argument i would say is that there was not a big name um for the wonder woman movie Uh, a big established name that sold movies previously, Uh, Gal Gadot. Although a great actress, great in Wonder Woman, great as Wonder Woman, uh, had been kind of introduced, I guess, yeah, kind of introduced in Batman versus Superman. Um, She was still relatively obscure uh, to an American audience. Uh, So to put that much faith in somebody that had been plucked from relative obscurity and put her as the lead in this big budget movie was a huge risk. Uh, I'm surprised that people thought it was a surprise hit, uh, but I could see why they were scared to necessarily put that much faith into Gal Gadot. Um, not necessarily the Wonder Woman franchise. I, I don't understand why they didn't do that, but 
that's one of the things with movies is that because all the money is condensed into the big event movies, the movies are not really willing to invest in somebody that doesn't have a name and a proven record of making big box office smash movies. And that's one of the reasons that I feel television as a whole has become better than movies. And this is not something that I've talked about before, but I feel like the television shows now are overall better than movies. If you gave me an option of would you rather watch a movie in the theater or would you watch something at home, I feel like I would either say if it's a big event movie, then I'll go to the movie, but most of the time I'd rather stay home. Um, There are very few movies that I feel I want to go out to see. I feel like more more and more often I want to stay home and watch a series uh, that I know is done well. And when it comes to actually making a television series, it's different than how you want to make a movie. When you make a television series, you're allowing the actors time to develop, to to allow the audience time to to attach themselves to the characters in a way that cannot happen in movies. So even if you did not attach to the characters in an hour of a series, maybe at episode seven, episode eight, uh, you are attached to it. So at the seven, eight hour mark, maybe you do love these characters that you didn't necessarily like in episode one and two. With movies, they got an hour and a half to three hours most of the time to get you to love the characters, tell a full story, and leave you satisfied. So it's difficult to do it in a movie form. And I feel like the television shows are not only able to tell better stories simply because they have a longer timeline to tell it, I feel like they are more willing to give uh, lesser-known actors a shot at that. Um, Now, this is something that's kind of always happened in television, but I feel like now the names that are in television are almost as big or bigger than the names that are in movies. So it is something that has changed over the past, I would say, five years, five to ten years, that the characters in television shows and the production values and the stories and the overall quality on television has surpassed movies to the point that people want to watch the television shows instead of going out to a movie. Uh, I feel like there's much more of a chance for an ensemble cast that you end up loving on a television show as opposed to a movie. Uh, Going back to IMDb's most popular shows, the ones that I have seen are Game of Thrones and Stranger Things, uh, The Crown, The Walking Dead. All of those shows, there were few if no actors and actresses that I knew going in. 
uh, Game of Thrones, I believe the only person that I, I really knew was Sean Bean. Uh, everybody else was uh, either new or a face that I vaguely recognized. Uh, either way, it wasn't something that I went in because there was a big name actor in it. Uh, same with Vikings. I don't think I knew anybody that was in Vikings. Uh, Stranger Things, I knew a side character. I knew Winona Ryder, and that was pretty much it. The, the Stranger Things is mostly about the kids, and I didn't know the kids, and they did phenomenally, and I grew to love them over time. And if that was supposed to be a movie, not only do I feel like the story would have been rushed, I feel like they would have had to cast established child actors into that movie and I think that we would be served lesser for it. Um, Walking Dead also comes to mind. I knew nobody in The Walking Dead. Uh, It's kind of a rotating cast of characters on The Walking Dead. Uh, Overall, I think I knew Jeffrey Dean Morgan. He was it. I don't think I knew anybody else on that show going in. And I grew attached to the characters over time. And if this was written in movie form, they would have to put a name there that was more proven to sell a movie. And I hope that changes in time, but I'm not sure that it will because of how people go to the movies now. It has to be a big event. You're not necessarily going to spend to go to see an indie movie or a comedy as much as you are going to see these big budget movies with tons of special effects that are served better on the big screen. Uh, For a lot of people, it seems like waiting until they come out on DVD or on Netflix is a much preferable option. Now, I have talked for a long time on these subjects. I think that is all that I wanted to talk about. That's all that's in my notes, at least. I do take notes about this kind of stuff. And it looks like I have gone over my hour allotted time, which is what I expected and why I said that we would not be doing a part three to the scuba cast today. So if there is anything that I talked about that you would like to comment on any comments or opinions that you guys have on any of the topics that we came up today. Uh, It would be greatly appreciated if you did leave that somewhere for me to find and we can talk about it next time or maybe we can have a discussion in the comment section below, however that works. With that said, I will uh, post a uh, another vote on Patreon if you guys do want to help support uh, what I am doing on the channel or what I am doing uh, with podcasts in particular. Patreon is a great way to do it. Uh, I believe that is the ultra scuba tier level uh, that will allow you to vote for what will be on the next podcast. I will put that up so I can do more research and then any comments and questions can go up there as well. So, that is going to do it for the first scuba cast. I will do my best to make this as widely available as I can. I hope you guys have enjoyed it. I uh, hope you have enjoyed just listening to my voice for almost uh, 75 minutes now. This did go on longer than I thought. I hope you guys have enjoyed it. I hope you laughed. hope you learned. And I hope to see you next time. Thanks for listening. <laughs>